It's really great to be celebrating Christmas uh, with you all and to be part of this service, whether you come here regularly or whether you're just here for this occasion to celebrate this Christmas season with us. My name's Ken Benjamin. I'm one of the ministers here. Can I just say, I really appreciated all of the readings and the band too and the choir too. They've been fantastic, haven't they? Perhaps you want to show your appreciation to them now. Just to explain our Christmas theme this year, we're picking up the title Unexpected with the word, the part of the word un in brackets. The key thought is this, that surrounding the Christmas message and themes and the accounts of Jesus coming to earth, and even Christmas today, there is a mix of elements of both the expected and the unexpected. Um, So there's the expected in that they are hoping for a rescuer, God's people. But there is always an unexpected twist to the story. The key example is Mary, who is expecting. But from Joseph's point of view, is unexpectedly expecting, as we saw in that brilliant drama. And we've picked up different themes in our different Sunday messages. And for this evening, we're picking up the idea that Jesus is king and is therefore an unexpected king to his people. They're expecting a king... But in so many ways, including the detail of how and where he arrives, he is an unexpected king. We heard in that last reading just how it caused a disturbance in Jerusalem to even think of a new king. When the wise men, very unwisely, go around asking about a king in Jerusalem. So the message is that Jesus isn't just a new baby, he is a new king that God's people have been hoping and waiting for. So thinking about this mix of expected and unexpected, we all have things that we expect at this time of year. A couple of weeks ago, we were driving in Chichester and we passed the house of someone we knew. They happened to come to our church, in fact, but that's not the important thing. The key thing is this. You know, there are some people you really expect to go to town on Christmas decorations on their house. And there are others who you really don't expect to have anything in the way of Christmas decorations. I'm not judging. Either way, you may be in either camp. I'm more in the kind of don't, you wouldn't really expect me to have loads of decorations. If you look at our corner of our house, we look like the house that don't believe in Christmas, actually, (laughs) which is not necessarily the right way to go on it. But we were passing one of these houses with one of the people who was clearly to us in the don't expect them to have any Christmas decorations. And we looked on the roof and they had a Santa on the roof, which was like really shocking. More than that, it was like a moving, animated Father Christmas. We got a little bit nearer and saw that it was, in fact, a workman replacing tiles <laughs> on their roof wearing hives. <laughs> the lesson I take from that is that we often see what we expect to see. At this time of year, looking up at a roof, you'd expect to see, if you see anything at all, you see Christmas decorations and movement. The reverse is also true. We also often miss what we don't expect to see. Alan Page is an American physicist. He wrote a famous book called Einstein's Dreams, which has become an international bestseller. He was in the faculty of Harvard, and now he's the current professor of 
in the practice of humanities at MIT. And he says this, we often do not see what we do not expect to see. There's a danger that we can miss the unexpected truth. So this evening, think about that from a Christian and a Christmas point of view. There's certainly so much around Christmas and even around a carol service like this one that we expect at this time of year. But there's also the unexpected. That medley of songs was brilliant right at the start of the service, but it had a mixture of the expected. We expect some of those songs. Some are more hymns. uh, One is more a hymn we'd expect at other times of year. And so it's a mixture of the expected and the unexpected. It's a great illustration of what we're trying to convey. At this time of year, you see, there are things that we expect, uh, both then, 2,000 years ago, and now. The coming of a rescuer was expected. There were prophecies about it. Many prophecies going into great detail for his people. On top of that, there are traditions around this time of year that we expect. So we're having mince pies after this service. That's not like a major shock to anyone, surely, because it's something that we expect. We haven't just invented that idea. Other people have before us. But within that, there are other traditions that some families or individuals have. So there's a family in our church who have the tradition of having green jelly with their Christmas meal or with Christmas pudding. Now, the rest of us would find that unexpected, but they would find that something to be expected. There's another family who have a tradition of Christmas decorations, but everybody has their own decoration, and they have a marching song that they take it up to the tree with. Some of us would find that quite unexpected if you were asked to do that, uh, and you weren't particularly used to it. In my family, we have the tradition, we have a number of traditions, including swimming on Boxing Day or Christmas Eve um, in the sea, which I'm trying to get out of being a tradition, but seems to be one of our traditions. And we have the tradition of mince pies and sausage rolls for breakfast on Christmas Day. Now, that doesn't come from my side of the family. But it is something that, for the sake of family unity, I've made a sacrifice in that area, and I now fully embrace. We also have in that song the idea of a soul cake being a tradition in autumn and then in Christmas. Some of us would know that. I think I know a Sting version of that song, and other people might know a Peter, Paul, and Mary version of that song. And if you're younger than those two things, I can't help you other than look in YouTube, and you'll see a number of versions of that song. So we're here because we expect certain things. Jesus' coming was, uh, as a rescuer was expected, and proph- there's prophecy about that. There's traditions, and so we expect that. There's also the kind of expe- expectation that we have because we know the story. If you don't know the story today, you have one advantage there, that the things that are unexpected maybe grab you for the first time as unexpected. But for many of us, even if you don't regularly come to church, but you just know the Christmas story or any of it, it's not a shock to you that there are shepherds in the story or wise men. But their presence is unexpected. Part of the message today is if you do believe, don't let the familiarity mean that you lose out on the unexpected aspects of the story. There's a real danger that we miss out because we're expecting it. It's like watching a film that you love that's got this amazing plot twist, but you're watching it for the hundredth time. You know the plot twist is going to come, and you've lost that sense of surprise. There's a real danger that we expect to see things, and therefore we see them, and we don't see what we're not expecting to see. 
John Lubbock was a politician and scientist in the late 19th century and early 20th century, and he says pretty much the same thing as Lightman, but from another perspective. He says, what we see depends mainly on what we look for. So the wise men, they decide, or the magi, I should call them, they decide to look for this king. I say I should call them magi rather than wise men because there's loads of legends around them which aren't necessarily helpful. There's the legend that there is three of them. It doesn't necessarily say that. It just says that there are three gifts. Could have been lots of people bringing those three gifts. We've all tagged onto somebody else's gift, haven't we? And said, oh, that's from us as well. So there could be many more than three people um, involved in it. There's legends about their names. That's a tradition that's added on later. The idea of them being three kings comes from about the third century. It does link to prophecies about kings following the saviour in the end, but they're not necessarily from here. Even the idea that they're all men is a tradition that hasn't always been there either. Matthew's use of the Greek plural for magi is a male plural word, but it's an inclusive word in the same way that in other generations we've used the word men to mean men and women or mankind certainly or even we might say guys today and mean men and women. In ancient Persia there were female astronomers and rulers and even more compelling to me is the, as I've looked at this a little bit and read about it this year, is the idea that in the Middle East when you go to see Mary and Jesus and by then it's saying Jesus and Mary, the baby and Mary, always in that order, Joseph isn't mentioned by then when he's talking about the Magi, and it keeps saying the baby and Mary, so it's emphasizing the baby. It would be very odd, needing an explanation odd, if it was just men visiting this woman on on her own. So it's very possible it's a mixed group going there. But what we can say is this, that for centuries the word Magi had in mind a particular tribe in Persia of priests, but it was also used for magicians, astronomers and astrologers. And the fact that they're following a star, that seems to be the most likely thing, that they're astronomers, astrologers. So what can we say about them? We can say that they are, when they're following this unexpected king, they're unexpectedly included. Let's not miss that because we know the story if we do. In a way, the message here is that outsiders, they become insiders. Now, in one sense, that should have been expected. It's part of the prophecies in the Old Testament, the first two-thirds of the Bible. In Isaiah, for example, it says, Nations, as in other nations, will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Some of the predictions point beyond one nation. And that movement began here with the visit of the Magi. And that movement continues today to millions celebrating Christmas around the world, including us here in Chichester. However outside we feel, those two last readings point to us that we're included, that we're insiders, or at least that we're invited to be. Beyond that is the idea that we're on, they are on an unexpected journey. It's unexpected that they're in this story, and then it's unexpected they will go on this journey with so little to go on, that they should venture so far. They they would endure what has to be in those days inevitable hardships in travel, and face such uncertainties of finding the one star, and, and what it's all about, this star. What is more, they wanted to give 
Jesus costly gifts. And more than that, they want to give him the worship of their hearts, it says. They're real heroes in this story. Now their thinking is that they're heading towards Jerusalem and Jerusalem's roughly right, it's in the right direction. It's the big capital city, so surely that's where the king is going to be. And so they turn up at Jerusalem and say, where is the one born king of the Jews? Those inside, those inside who know about the Jewish tradition, they would know that that was an unstable and dangerous thing to do, to go to Jerusalem loudly asking about the new king when Herod is there as the existing king. And he's going to take it personally. Remembering that kings here is not like our kings and queens in the UK. It's a ruler in so many ways, even if they're under Roman rule. Herod is notoriously somebody who's going to fiercely and repressively attack anything that attacks his status. Plus, they don't know the scriptures, like even Herod's priests and advisors do, where in Micah it says that it's going to be in Bethlehem that's going to be the key place for this arrival. The other side of this outsiders being included inside coin, and, and the encouragement that that is, is a warning that insiders can miss out. Because there are some insiders, some religious experts, who know the answer is Bethlehem. And as far as we have from our accounts, they don't do anything about it. They just give the news and leave it to the Magi to go. So the Magi set off and investigate the star. And the lesson I love and I hold on to is that this isn't blind faith. They're prompted to proceed and, and they have enough to go on. Interestingly, when you look at contemporary writings from other nations neighboring Israel around that time, other cultures, there's a lot of writing also expecting a king from Judah, from God's people, who will be significant for all nations. And so it could be that these major are picking up on that expectation. So, so what is this star that they are following? It could be that this isn't an accurate portrayal of exactly what it is that they're following, or that this isn't an accurate portrayal of quite how carefully they display the gifts um, there. But I'll leave it on a loop for you to consider. What we can consider is this. There's a lot of debate about it. You can go to the Chichester Planetarium most years, including this coming week, and have a talk about it. Sympathetically given, last time I heard about what the star could be. Some people think it could be Halley's Comet, but a lot of people would say that it might be a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that looked like one bright star that appears in one place and then reappears in another place. Whatever it is, they come and they follow and they find the child with his mother Mary, as it says, five times, and they give their offering. What is also encouraging to us is that they don't get everything right. They do turn up at Jerusalem. But God guides people who are seeking. And so they're guided a little bit further. And there are prompts along the way. And there's a message about Jerusalem that they're given from a surprising place. Mary and Joseph are from the north, as our drama pointed out. And that did have negative connotations. So it was right to pick that up. And lots of nations have that north-south divide thing going on, don't they? If you're visiting us and your family from the north, you're most welcome. (laughs) 
But there are those sorts of feelings. Exactly a month ago to, the, to today, I was speaking on the Isle of Man. And that has like a proper north-south divide, even though it's like 30 miles from one end to the other, or they're from the north, or they're from the south. Loads of countries and loads of nations have that kind of thing. So it's an unexpected group of people who are included in this story. And the other thing in that drama that we should just acknowledge is that to be unexpectedly expecting a baby is a tough sell. So much so that you can live with the idea that, well, maybe Christians are just deluding themselves. Maybe Joseph was too, and a whole rumor just developed around it. The point is, the story doesn't start there, and it doesn't end there. Otherwise, it really could be just Mary making it up. It doesn't start there because part of the prophecies point to Mary or somebody like Mary giving birth. In Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. It didn't start with Mary's words. And it doesn't end there because as Jesus grows up, everything about his life afterwards confirms his identity. And if that is confirmed, if Jesus is divine, if he's the son of God, if he is God with us, Emmanuel, Emmanuel meaning God with us, then it's totally believable that Jesus can come however he wants to come. The Magi then, picking up these clues, following the star, they're following more than a star. They get more than that by way of clues when you think about it. They're prompted in dreams too. They're prompted by Herod's advice, even if it wasn't well intended, it's still the right sort of advice to go on to Bethlehem, take that half hour, two hour walk maybe a little bit further from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to, to go and find it. In that sense, as you heard in, in the song from the band here, I'd want to say that angel voices still sing in the sense that there are still ongoing prompts for people on the move, looking and, and wanting to find if Jesus really is the answer. He's an unexpected king. They follow an unexpected journey. They're unexpectedly included. And they bring unexpected gifts I think they were probably guided about the gifts too, if I'm honest, because the gifts point to something. They're prophetic. We're not told how, but I don't know that they're just there by chance. Gold points to a king, a gift fit for a king, and they know that, and they take those gifts. Frankincense was in constant use by priests in the temple, and Jesus is the ultimate priest and the one who makes reconciliation like priests were supposed to do in temporary ways. Jesus does it permanently between God and mankind. And myrrh was famously used to embalm the dead. It's a pretty unexpected gift when you think about it. In no Christmas year ever since has it made the top 10 Christmas gifts available for anybody to choose. But it's symbolic. The man born to be king is born to die, and to die as a sacrifice, offering a fresh start and forgiveness and, and the missing ingredient that we need. And so in those three gifts, he is who he claims to be, and he does what he came to do, and it cost him. And when they do all of that, they bow and worship. So if you picture the, like, the nativity scene, or even the clip I showed you, where they take these gifts, and it's like, you know, parcel force or yodel, and they drop the gifts, and they're off again. That isn't what happens. 
they take the gifts and they spend time and they're overjoyed, it says, and they bow and, and they worship. There's nowhere more important to be than in the presence of Jesus. And so they invest time in it, just as you have this evening. And the rest of Jesus' life is that unexpected mix too. Uh, with expected things, he's dependable in so many ways, but unexpected things too. His parents find him, when they think they've lost him, unexpectedly still in the temple, but he explains that that is where they should expect him to be. He gives unexpected answers, so much so that people are forever saying, no one has ever spoken like this before. He goes to unexpected places when they think he, sh- they should, he should stay where he is because he's going really well, going down really well where he is teaching later on in adult life. But he goes on to unexpected places. He stays when they think he should go, and that's unexpected too. And he has this unexpected ending to his life too, though if you study the path of Scripture, you can see that it's also expected in another sense. His death is unexpected and his resurrection is unexpected too. I've looked at classical paintings of, of the nativity over the years. Some of them do have the Magi as a mixed group with a particularly Renaissance paintings with one or two women in them if, you, if, you, if you're looking for that and, and look for that element. But one thing I, I haven't found, which I think should be there because it's in the gospel accounts, it's in the accounts of Jesus' life, is the kind of look of shock in the disciples' faces always. I think that Jesus was just always unexpected for them, but in a good way. And I think that that makes sense. Because if it's God on earth, then there are going to be some things that are unexpected for us along the way. And it makes the journey exciting, and it makes it worth it. It also adds credibility to those gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the first half, first bit of the New Testament. Because it seems to me that nobody writes history making themselves look stupid, apart from the disciples, who were prepared to do that, to show how Jesus was always surprising them. So there's an adventurous journey that we are celebrating. And beyond that, the Christian life is full of that unexpected journey. God has the unexpected for you. And he has great expectations for you. The idea of the soul cake is great, where in giving, it does our soul good as well. Along the way, there are things that we can expect. If we buy into this, continue in the journey, start the journey and follow Jesus, we can expect to receive love and forgiveness and the company of the Holy Spirit, and gifting, and eternal security. It's right to expect those things. But along the way, life will be full of the unexpected. Because God does things his way, not ours. His timing, not ours. And he knows delightful long cuts sometimes that are part of his unexpected plan. If you'd like to know more and investigate this more, I've got a leaflet. Um, A few of us will have some after the service. I'll be near the door after the mince pies and coffee. If you'd like one of these, please come and see me. Why Christmas? Including explaining why Jesus came, why God came in that way, and what he then did, and why that makes a difference still today. 
The real danger this Christmas, and most Christmases as I see it, for people like us who turn up at a service expecting certain things, is that we expect to see certain things and we don't see what we're not expecting to see. So this evening, can we see the unexpected inclusion of these magi who paved the way for the unexpected inclusion of anyone, anyone in this room? Let's pray. As we pray, let's recognize that the magi pursued what they knew to the uttermost of their powers. And, and then they made it an act of worship. And that's supposed to surprise us and challenge us. And so, Lord, we thank you that there's so much that we can expect and depend on. And thank you that it makes sense that there's always going to be part of the journey that's unexpected too. Help us to trust you for the unexpected parts as well as the parts that we expect and depend on. This Christmas we pray blessing on those we are closest to and those we are furthest from, from the unexpected saviour. Amen.